to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. A girl that I had dated, like her family, when she told them, because it, it was right when the movie came out, she was from Oz, and the family came out and they said, "Oh well, well he could be that. His father murdered his mother. You better watch out. He could be a murderer." And and that you know we were joking about it, but that has plagued my relationships my entire life. Welcome to the deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early twenties, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. This is part two of my interview with Collier, who lost everything when his father murdered his mother. Today, we discuss what it's like growing up with everyone knowing your sad story in your small little town, and what happens when he confronts his father in prison. Content warning. If you're suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. So all of this happens. It's like the trial of the century where I'm from. It's I'm on every newspaper, television, like because they brought live cameras into the courtroom. So it was televised live oh, on television. Shit. It's so, so crazy it was they circus. do that. Yeah, it was a circus. <laughs> it was a literal circus. So I grew up in the public eye. Problem with a lot of that is that I was constantly reminded growing up that people knew who I was and I never knew if their interest or their um, affections towards me or lack thereof was genuine or not because I was, you know, for all intents and purpose, famous. But for all the wrong reasons, right? Yeah, but everyone knew you. Every, you, you were everyone the boy. knew me. Yeah. That takes a significant toll on you. So when I was 18, I literally wanted to go to New York and just be away. And I wanted to go to Broadway and make it as a singer. I, was, I became like the, the school choir star. And I was senior, a junior and senior class president and all this stuff. And I went on and I just tried to live. You know, I had multiple jobs while I was in high school. And just was very active, captain of the tennis team, all these things. Wow. Right? So still thriving. Yeah, very much so. And then just wanted to go and have this career. So I was like, okay. But I always wanted to tell my story. And so I went to music school for a few years and I dropped out and I said, I want to just, you know, fuck it. I'm going to move to Hollywood and I'm going, I'm going to move to Los Angeles where I want to live. I like the weather. I like the beach. Mm. I, and I'm going to move to a place where nobody knows who I am Yeah, and where I can learn to make it on my own merits. Where, where, where I don't have to worry if I got a job or someone was nice to me or someone was interested in me is because they knew who I am. You know what I mean? 
It's like a child actor. It's like a child actor. It's a child celebrity in the worst way. Exactly. The worst way. It's not like I was known for like saying the line in the show or whatever. When you come in the room, like, oh, hey, guys, how you doing? And oh, ha ha, there's that kid. No, it was like, hey, my dad murdered my mother. And I'm going to, you know, put him in prison. That's what I was known for. So the thing was, is I I wanted to come to a place where no one knew me. And for the longest time. Only a select few people knew my story as far as, and it was just this. I'm Collier. I grew up in a small town in Ohio. My dad was a doctor and he killed my mother. That was it. That was all anybody really knew about me. Unless like I was in a six and a half year relationship. Obviously she knew more, right? But my friends didn't know that. And a lot of my people in my life just knew that, oh yeah, like you had this sort of fucked up story and fucked up childhood, but you seem okay. Um, So when I eventually made the film, a murder in Mansfield with two-time Oscar winner Barbara Koppel, who directed it, and for uh, Discovery Plus, Investigation Discovery. Huge congratulations on that as well. Like, it's astounding to be able to go through everything you have and then have had to be a storyteller and to rehash and relive, but also have so much success through that. It's like, it's truly remarkable. I mean, you've heard this, but I have to say it. Well, I mean, thank you. I mean, it's, uh, it's something that I always am just like, well, it's sort of me. Like I just, you know. <laughs> but it's and, fucking and, wild. And it, 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 it's, it's totally wild. And it's, and you know, and I, so I host this podcast called Moving Past Murder and I'm just sort of new into the true crime world. And because it is a true crime podcast, but it's from my perspective and I share letters from my father from prison to expose sociopathy, narcissism, like 500 of them, you know, and I do one every other episode or so. And in my own story, my own unique perspective on true crime and interviewing survivors. But one of the things I've become very, you know, aware of recently is how lucky I was. You know, I, I took control of my own story and my own narrative very early on. And I, you know, there was a very famous episode of Forensic Files about my case. It came out in the, like 2003 or something like that, 2002. It's like one of the top 10 most popular episodes. There's 450 episodes in the series. It's like top 10. And the, uh, you know, and I remember they, they wanted me to be on the show and I said, you got to pay me. And they was like, no, we're not doing that. I was like, okay, fine. Then just make it without me, right? But I was able to take control of this narrative and I... And I wasn't exploited like some of these victims are, like some of these people who are their survivors and their stories are retold on these podcasts. They don't get any money from me. I was just reading a thing on Reddit this morning and these people were talking about like, yeah. And then their stories are exposed. And then people were like, I want to talk to them. I want to talk to them. It's like, whenever I do a podcast episode or I'm talking to someone or I do a TikTok or whatever, my email is inundated with people coming to me, Instagram messages, which I'm okay with because I'm putting my story out there. But it is overwhelming. People do it's, it's ask a me a lot, and they and they tell me their stories, which it's amazing to have that impact, right? Mm-hmm. But I can't imagine somebody that's not trying to do that, that wants to lead a life and just not have to deal with any of this, and then their Getting story comes out, and then and then they get all this, and then they're just like, "What the hell?" and you know, they have to relive their trauma every time that happens. I mean, with me, I've embraced it. I've turned it into a podcast. I made the film and I did it because, you know, it's why I got in the film business. I learned how to become a filmmaker because I wanted to tell my story. I wanted to do all this because I wanted to honor my mother and I did not want this to become 
a cautionary tale. I didn't want to become a cautionary tale. I wanted people to be able to see that you can make it through extraordinary circumstances and literally be staring at the nadir of your life and going, there is nothing left here and pulling yourself out of it and saying, I'm going to turn this into something empowering. I'm going to turn this into something to inspire and, and, and move people in a, in a positive way, because I just wanted to heal myself and change one person's life. I wanted to speak to that child who was 12 years old, who's sitting in foster care, who is literally just staring down the barrel of life. Like my life is over and say to them, it will be okay. It's going to be all right, man. You're going to be, you're going to be okay. It's, it's tough. It sucks. It's going to be really hard. It doesn't get any easier, but you're going to make it. This place you're in now that you, I can see your whole face change and you go back there when the voice cracks and you're feeling it. I think it's a really important conversation to have right now around what it is like when you are a small child, a vulnerable child, and you're put in a situation that is so foreign, that is so strange, that is so unfamiliar, that is so uncomfortable, and how you actually get through moment by moment, you know, and day by day. How do you do that as a small child with this huge amount of trauma and grief. There is this quote that I heard once and it said that people who come through unspeakable trauma, unspeakable pain often have a fire that burns inside them. That is almost inextinguishable. And from that moment that my father said, Mommy took a little vacation. Collier, he poured gasoline all over it. And it hasn't stopped since then. <laughs> and I knew I knew that I wasn't a kid anymore. Oh, that's so awful. I knew that like the guy literally, he just words came out of his mouth. And I said to myself, like, my child is over. Like, You're alone. It's you. I'm alone. And the one person that could have been like, it's going to be okay, Collier. They weren't there. And it's like, you have to... You just have to sort of sit in it and go, okay, but I'm going to use that as strength. I'm going to be strong for them because that's the only thing that's going to, that's going to really push me through this or else I'm going to, I'm just going to give up. Did that come to mind suicide? No. I mean, if I harmed myself or I didn't become the best version of myself, he fucking wins. Mm. Somebody once asked me, 
you know, I was I, I was filming in the Dominican Republic, and I was with these motorcycle stunt riders, and we were, you know, we were exhausted or whatever. And you know, I, I had told them, but my they kind of knew they were from Ohio. They they knew who I was, but they didn't you know know the whole story. They just kind of knew a little bit. And we started talking about it. And they said, "Well, how can you forgive your father?" Because I had seen my father right before that. Um, because that's when he told me like he was up for parole and he basically said, Oh, I was responsible for her death. He said something like he talked about it for like three seconds. He was very, well, I was responsible for her death. I drove her to some, to that point or something. I was like, okay, I didn't even, whatever you said, but Mm -hmm. I'll have to take that and run with it. That maybe there's something there that I can use to like sort of get myself through this next hump in my life. Right. So, and it was actually very profound and it ended up changing me because I think I just dealt with a different level of acceptance, but I told, you know, and I forgave my father and I told these guys and they're like, how can you forgive? Like, how can you forgive such a monster? How can you do this? I was like, guys, I was like, it's not about him. It's about me. And ultimately I think that that's the thing that, that leads you through trauma that leads you through these situations that lets you face these extraordinary circumstances head on is that you have to just say, like, I'm doing this for me. You know, it was like, okay, I'm doing it for my mom. It was, I'm not going to let him win. But it's also like, I'm going to be the best version of myself. I'm going to do my best. And look, I am far from without my flaws. I am 100%. I have, you know, all kinds. I mean, look, I'm not married and I don't have kids, you know, but I, I, I try to be the best version of a human being that I can be. But again, I'm not without my flaws. But you know, I think that you get to this, you you literally just have to go, I'm doing this for me and I'm doing this because I want to be the best version of myself and doing other things like taking my own life, taking my, because it's, it's at that point, it's like it becomes a legacy almost because it's so yeah. like the shit you've been through is so fucking bad and so fucking graphic it's like, it, it, it's like you can't, you, it's like you've already crossed the Rubicon, right? with what happened. So it's so extreme that if you do something at this moment, it's like you've gotten this far. Mm. It's so interesting though, because you're in true crime, right? You, you understand so much about this world and what we see sometimes, you know, with pedophiles or serial killers and things like that is this um, cycle, you know, this cycle of trauma and abuse that doesn't, um, detach itself or work itself out so it just replays and we it's just like it's such a common thread it's a really interesting place that you chose you chose life and you chose forgiveness yeah i wouldn't say it's super common no it's not but see for for me like i did not realize that because i was just too busy being collier (laughs) I was too busy being the kid who was Noreen Boyle's son, who who she raised to be a good person, as flawed as he may be. I was very much in this frame of mind that like, I'm going to do something. I'm not going to be a victim of my circumstances. I'm not going to, you know, I was never woe is me. I was never, you know, uh, I never felt sorry for myself because I never wanted to be that person. And I, and I could see people wanting to be sorry for myself. And also I was driven and motivated because so many people judged me and still mm. judge me. What are they judging though? Well, how do you Well, judge I'll just you? give you like, so just a girl that I had dated, like her family, when she told them, and it, cause it was right when the movie came out, she was from Oz and the family came out and they said, 
oh well well he could be that his father murdered his mother you better watch out you better you know you better watch out he could be he could be a murderer like people he could be a murderer and and that you know we're joking about it but that has plagued my relationships my entire life because they feel that there's something um in you that is unhinged Abel doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, if his dad can do it, what means that he couldn't do it? I mean, it does make sense if you're a parent. I mean, I don't know. I can't say that I would be any better if I if I had a daughter and she was dating somebody like myself that has been through all of this. I, might, I think it's only human nature. I can't blame these people for feeling this way. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Can I ask then on that side of things, because I would think that sure, like, yeah, face value, yeah, red flag, but I would then be like, okay, so who is he? And has he um, seen the therapist? And has he, you know, is he in touch with this stuff? Like he's not just putting it under the rug and then he's going to have a, like a mental conniption and, and strike out. Like, on that topic have you done have you did you get support when you were in the foster system or did you have to seek that out as an adult or have you had any at all so uh, you know i was in therapy briefly when it all happened and then my um my adoptive parents really weren't into therapy so i kind of stopped during those formative years from like 15 on and then i got back into therapy a couple of years ago after making the film, why I was started going back to therapy. I don't know. I just felt like I mean, for me, a lot of the times growing up, like I talked about it all the time. Like if somebody came up to me, like growing up in Ohio, and I knew that they were talking to me, they wanted to talk about it, I would just unload. <laughs> so it almost was like an it expression. Was like, of it was like-, like an expression. It was like therapy. I did. You know, I was so involved in the arts and music. And everything was like an outlet for me, right? So I felt a little cathartic back then? A hundred percent. And okay. people were fascinated, had this sort of morbid curiosity with all of it. And I was like, yeah. I was like, what do Here you want to know? I'll talk about it. Great. I'll use you as a therapist. I'll talk about these things I'm going through. Sure. Absolutely. And, you know, even though I felt a little bit of judgment and things like that and just, um, you know, and I, and again, I also was doing it a lot of times because I was trying to take the piss out of it. In a way where it didn't have any power over me, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I wanted them to see like, yeah, I've been through all this stuff, but it doesn't control me. And you need to know that about me, that like this thing can happen, but it's not going to control who I am. It's not going to control my emotions. It's not going to control how I interact with you. It's not going to control how my view of the world is. My friends still to this day. They're like, you're a perpetual optimist. They will call me with the most doom and gloom situation. I'll be like, yeah, I know you're, you know, you're whatever happened, but like, look on the bright, like, but, but you have this and they're just like, how the fuck do you spin this shit? Of course you can look at how your life is. I'm like, I'm like, I spin this. I was like, but yeah, that's what I tell them. I'm like, when you come through this craziness, you have to like, 
Because if I looked at the world that way, I would I would have been gone a long time ago. I'd have jumped off a bridge a long time ago. Can I talk about your dad? Sure. Lots of questions. Did he ever <laughs> admit it? And was no. he ever remorseful? Did he ever say sorry? No. <laughs> um, I'm sorry you feel that way. But did he admit he did it? So in the film, when I confront him in that final scene, you know, he's a sociopath and a malignant nar- narcissist. And when he comes in the room, <laughs> he says he's in this like jovial sort of mood. He's super happy to be there because my father thought that I was making a film to get, help him get out of prison. I never told him that. I never, I didn't have to. That's what he thought. So when I say to him in the film, I, I go into this sort of statement. I say, look, I said, you know, one of the things I've always been interested in ever since she murdered my mother was the consequences of violence. And as soon as I say, ever since you murdered my mother, first time, that's the first time I've ever said that to him. Second, his whole demeanor changes. He goes from the smile and then he can see him just go, oh shit. And he goes into this whole other mode and it just, it just happens right before your eyes. It's, it's astonishing. And I, I read him this letter <laughs> that I wrote him when I was 13 years old and I was adopted. And I said, I need to move on with my life. I, I want to know why you murdered my mother. Not only for me, but for my sister, my half sister who was born. I have a half sister that was born 12 days before my father was arrested. She is the From Sherry. daughter. Yes, she is her daughter. <laughs> 12 days before my father was arrested. Um, and shit. I said for her, for Sherry, for all, for the family that won't speak to me. <laughs> Just so we can all move on and begin to heal. My father opened the letter read it, apparently, put it back in the envelope and wrote refused and sent it back to me. So I read him the letter. I haven't looked at it since I was 13 years old in the film. Yeah, yeah. And his response as a narcissist is, as he says, well, I don't know why I would have sent that back to you, but at that time I was struggling with massive depression, my own depression. And I even attempted, I was even contemplating suicide. It was all about him, the victim narcissist. And I was just like, and I'm like, wow, like not even 26 years later, can you even have a thing? So he goes into this whole story about how he, you know, uh, it, it was an accident. She came at him with a knife. It happened downstairs, not upstairs, even though I was sleeping upstairs and I heard it all happen upstairs, how it happened downstairs and he pushed her and she hit her head and then he tried CPR and then I say to him and I say to him how did you like so how did she get a plastic bag over her head and he's like oh I put the plastic bag over her head and then I was like why did you do that oh because I was scared I put the plastic bag because I was scared to look at her and you know literally in the autopsy report it says suffocation by a blunt force trauma to the back of the head and suffocation with a plastic bag so he still can't admit it. No, 26 years later, he can't sit and say, I own it. And see, when I was pitching the Department of Corrections on the film and for us to film there, because they said no. <laughs> and I said, look, I said, this is a goal. I mean, this is the best pitch. I should listen to this. I have this recorded somewhere. It was the best pitch, pitch meeting of my life. But I said to them, I said, look, this is an amazing opportunity because if my father 
it, when my father, when my father, it was very strategic on how I pitched it to them, but I said, when my father admits to this, it's going to be this amazing come to Jesus moment, like a killer reform, the prodigal son returns, and it'll be this success story of the, of the prison system and the corrections department. You never once in that conversation did I say, well, I also know my father is a malignant narcissist and a sociopath, so the, uh, the, the <laughs> odds of this that. actually fucking happening are, are pretty much nil, but that's okay. <laughs> so, Were you hopeful, though, for yourself? Like, as, a, as an 11-year-old boy, your inner child, were you hopeful that he would just go, he would own it, he would explain it, he sure, would apologize? Of course. of course, of course, because here's the thing. At the end of the day, as horrible and as horrific as this man is, he's still my father. And there still is the same blood that courses our veins, right? And I very much so wanted, you know, I was, again, looking for closure. I was looking for a way to say, look, I want to move past this and figure out what this next chapter of my life looks like with his involvement or whatever it is, right? Because you don't want to believe that your your father is evil or your father did this, you, you know, even though it's staring you blindly in the face. But, you know, yeah. So I was a little, I was hopeful. I was, uh, or I was, um, I, you know, it's, it, I had very low expectations, but high hopes, of but low expectations. But I knew in my heart that he wasn't going to admit it. I don't know what he was going to say. I was surprised that he told this whole story of it being downstairs in the, you know, downstairs with, you know, Professor Green with the candlestick and the billiard yeah. room or whatever. Like, I was like, I, I didn't expect him to go into the whole, that whole thing. Because, it, you know, it also directly con- it contradicts like what he testified in court. Because he testified on his ha- on, for two and a half days or three days on t- trial, you know, about what happened and the whole, she left and got in the car. I think I was expecting something more like that. Like he would be like, oh, uh, you know, she left, she got in a car, you know, just like I told you. 25, 26 years ago, just like what I said, just like what I said in court, but he didn't. He told this different story. He did story. a whole new story. And here's, and here's the thing is, so when I was traveling with the film and then I, I ended up screening it in Mansfield, which was just an amazing experience because we, it I did it in so the surreal, theater. Right? I did it in the theater where my mother used to work, like volunteer, and I would go to as a kid and I did it on that stage and it was probably one of the greatest moments of my life right because it was like you know i i got up and this, did this whole impromptu speech about how life is circadian and how i wasn't able to go to my mother's funeral and how i felt like this was my return and this was all we were all celebrating her and her life and this was her funeral mm, this was i got like full a body fucking her. shivers yeah and it was Beautiful. it was amazing like it was it was amazing and i just riffed and i was like this is you know such a cool feeling and it was you know I, that morning before i like right before I went to the theater, like I was opening up my journal, I was journaling and this, the prayer card from her funeral fell out. I hadn't seen it in a decade and it was in this journal. It was just hidden in the journal. It just fell out on the floor and I was like, and I carried it with me. I took it out of my pocket right there on the stage (laughs) and uh, it was pretty nutty, but somebody came up to me, people would come up and they'd say, one of them was somebody and they go, I'm so glad that your father was able to, that you guys were able to understand and your father was able to tell, to tell you what really happened and you could see the light. I think to myself, are you, do we just watch the same film? Like, Pick your pardon. Did, we, yeah. like what, and people will often do that. And the thing is, is that my father was such a great doctor 
that you know it was very hard for patients to reconcile that he could have done something because he was such an amazing of healer. But of also course. the thing is, is that my father was an amazing physician, but my father, like also the reason why these narcissists and sociopaths and things, they enter these types of fields is because it plays right into their narcissism. So they are really good at it because they, the role of the healer is, is a role it that feeds is, the, it feeds it the monster. Feeds them. It feeds the monster. So I want to ask you, sitting in prison, you didn't get an, I'm sorry that I fucked up your life, that you went into foster care, that I killed your mother. You didn't get a sorry. No. <laughs> no. In fact, my father has often alluded that, uh, that he did me a favor sometimes, and that he was a really good father. And he, I, he knows he was a really good father. And I was like, are you, like, are you out of your fucking mind? Because he's manipulative, right? So he would write this to letters to me. And like I said, I read these letters on the podcast. And I, you know, I read them on TikTok and, and stuff because it lets you into the mind of this complete narcissists and how they interact and how they try to literally rewrite history. It's the revisionist history of whatever suits them for the day. Because you know, my father says that she goes down the car, gets in the car at the end of the driveway and then that's one thing and then it's a different story then it's a different story. It's whatever suits them at the time that they're working with, that they structure and they scheme and they manipulate. There was one letter, it was something about, it's, I'm not going to say it word for word, but it's something like you are a disgrace to the family, you betrayed me, Yeah, you're dead to me, something like that. Do yes. you know the one I'm you're talking dead to all, about? You're dead to all of us, yeah. You're dead That's to, the one. To all of us, yeah. We no longer consider you a member of our family. He had the audacity to blame you for the unraveling. Yes. And he sent that yes. to you as a child. Yes, he did. In fact, like he has, I have caught him in different correspondence with people still blaming me. Like somebody will send me something that he said and he'll blame me. I just, I just read a letter. And when I read these letters on the podcast or read, read them on TikTok, like I'm looking at them for the first time in forever. That's sort of the unique little shtick of it all is that it's like, I just pull them right out of a bin. I got a bin underneath my desk and I pull them out and I just open it up and I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And sometimes they're a dud and sometimes they're really amazing. And they have this just like whole thing. Sometimes it's, I have letters I didn't even open yet that I'm saving that, you know, because I want and, and I, and I do this because I want people to hear, this is what this sounds like. And people will literally write me and send me messages and say, and DMs and be like, Oh my God, this is my ex-husband, my father, my mother, my grandmother, my partner, my ex-wife, my, you know, wow. my current boyfriend or girlfriend. Like it's, you know, uh, my uncle, like it's all these things. And it's, it's amazing because I feel like, I'm able to uncover these things, which again, it's the greater good, right? It's, it's, it's incredibly cathartic for me to share this because it benefits other people. I mean, my mother would be so proud. She would be so proud. So proud, Kalia, so proud. Like I'm thinking, God forbid this ever happened in any situation, like my son, growing and developing and giving back to the world in the way you do is just she is so proud and that little moment of the prayer card slipping out and I really believe in all I'm a bit woo-woo but she is so proud thank you 
And I can see that in your heart. I can see your eyes and your heart just breaking again, all over again. You know? I'm so sad that you don't have that. But I have it in my heart. I want to ask you, um, your three and a half year old sister, do you talk to her? I have not seen her since January 1991. Wow. Her adopted, her parents who are the principal and her, uh, they would not let me have a relationship with her. Why? They removed her pretty much from all, you know, I found out over the years, like, you know, she was not allowed to like ride with the tennis team when she would go to events and she was very, kept very isolated. It's very odd that and the same thing happened sort of with my half sister from what I understand is like, you know, you're growing up in the same community, but you're trying to shelter a child from these things that happen. But it's like, it's a town of, it's not Los Angeles. It's a town of 30,000. There's 30,000 people in the County. Like people know who we are. Like, but these are adults now. Your your half sister and your adopted sister are adults. So I have not ever been able to contact my my um, uh, adopted sister. Um, never heard from her. She's a ghost, from what I can see on social media. There's and everything no like that. nothing. Wow. Nothing. nothing. And when the film came out and all of that, there was no contact. No nothing. 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 Not as far as I, unless it went into my spam folder. Nothing. I mean, I and find that my so wild. Half sister, it's it's staggering to me. And 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 look, I can respect people's privacy, and I can respect people don't want to deal with this. And look, and many people, and many people, like many people, have a hard time dealing with these things in life. And 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 I I do get it. Like I, I'm not here to pressure someone. My half sister was going to be in the film, and we had a relationship, and it was really good. I I thought it was really developing into something, and then when I was getting ready to make the film, like it was her son's birthday and they were having this big birthday party and she invited me. And then all of a sudden I never got the details. Crickets. And then it was crickets. It was crickets. And it's been that way ever since it was six years ago. So you don't know why? Well, no, I know why is that they were angry that I, I think in her mother didn't like, nobody wanted me to make the film. But the thing is, is I went to everyone and I said, I'm making this film and this and is you your gave opportunity. Them an opportunity. And this yes. is your opportunity to be a part of this and tell your side of the story. Because Sherry, for example, like, look, I don't particularly care for her, but I also don't want to see her be excoriated or, or treated poorly yeah. for something that was a, bad decision you know that she didn't do and i don't want her to be blamed for something that she didn't do because it's like oh well she's the mistress she signed this she did this and it's like yeah but i don't think that she literally plotted to murder my mother with my father like that that i don't believe (laughs) you know i mean did she do some shady shit probably she was also 27 years old and pregnant like and had kids and had an opportunity and maybe she knew certain things. Maybe she didn't, but she did not murder my mother. Do you know what I mean? So, but I, I came to her and I, I said, look, you know, this is your opportunity. And then after it comes out, then everybody's angry. Well, and, and my, my adopted parents to their credit had said to them, Hey, he, you can't be angry with him. He came to you. He literally told, he literally warned you and gave you the opportunity. So you wouldn't be judged so you would have an opportunity like Collier did that for you. I think this is where it goes full circle into people and how they deal with their trauma. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, 100%. We're going to deal with this head on or we're just going to shut the blinds and we're going to drink ourselves to oblivion, you know, like whatever it is, we can't choose for anybody else. But I want to take you to 
And I don't know if you've heard our podcast, but every guest gets the same question at the end. Okay. And it is, who are you when no one's watching? I'm just a kid who loved his mom. Yeah. That's fine. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for being so generous with all of your work. Your work is available and people can find you through everything. It's collierlandry.com or at collierlandry everywhere. We're going to put that in the show notes. You really have been such a gift to our listeners, but to everybody that gets to hear you and hear your story and watch your film. So thank you from all of us for being on the deep today. Thank you. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's The Deep. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes, and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.